things Oregon Athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of <laughs> Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. It is Wednesday, the 6th of December, first December show for me of 2023, and will also be my last December show of 2023. It's finals week here on the campus of University of Oregon, uh, and it is one of the weirder quacks, Max, I think we've ever had. Do you agree? Yeah, I'd have probably have to agree with that. Very weird, even just as a freshman, just walking around campus and seeing it, like, Yesterday was, I think, the first day where it was like, okay, we're starting to see some people file out. I'm like, all right, finals week. Yeah, it's going to make sense. People are going to start filing out. They're going to start leaving when their finals are. That make, like, in my brain, I can process that. And then you see it. Yeah. And, and then it, like, it was oh, today. Yeah. I, I was walking over to the studio, and there was nobody. Yeah. There was maybe, I maybe passed five people that yeah. I knew were like university students on the way here, which was so strange. My thing, I think, when I notice it most is like, in parking lots where it's like like i i'm going from or not even parking lots because i have i have street parking for my apartment um and it it also like takes in it, it also uh is eligible for like for for deep on university street if that makes sense like if you're going towards like the alpha omega house and the uh dtd house like starting to end a frat territory but but now I can park on that street, actually, and it's not like, like, like oh, there are open spots, and that's when I notice it most. Um, but past just the weirdness of nobody here, we are also worlds apart, you and I. Um, a <laughs> yeah. whole a whole two-studio difference. Um, there is a DJ running or recording a pre-record in production, no, oh, in Air 1. So I'm in Air 2, which is, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the KWV Studios, again, worlds apart from Gavin. So, uh... This will be fun, right? Yeah, no, this is great. I can barely see you through this. This is going to be fantastic. Um, Gavin, I, I like doing like check-ins uh, before my shows. So how was your freshman first term of freshman year? I mean, it's hard to put like, oh, it was great or oh, it was not great. It was honestly, it was classes that I was physically required to take. There were like, I think. Oh, God, if, I hated that. Did if, you have to take collaborative literature by any chance? I did not. Or comparative literature? No. Um, okay. I almost did because there's a long story about me having trouble getting classes for next term due to a variety of different reasons, only awesome. half of which were my fault. And, but no, from like, I feel like the one thing I knew coming into college is I wanted to make sure that I'm not coming to college to like do academic work and take classes that'll be a big like that'll be a part of it but that's not the main reason why I'm here the main reason why i'm here is to grow as a person get experiences and know what i'm doing when i get out of college and i feel like if anything that is what i accomplished i did um some work with the uo theater department not to shout them out but absolutely to shout them out shout and out and then obviously working in here with phantom you guys. Tollbooth, correct yeah phantom Tollbooth, excellent show um very rewarding to work on then i got the chance to work with you guys i think this is now my 
maybe my seventh time on air this term, which is absolutely ridiculous to me. I feel like in that, yeah, the classes were there. It's a lot of like 300 person lecture classes and it's, yeah, it's fine. I'm not learning as much as I maybe would like to, that I probably will in the upper division classes. But honestly, that's not what I'm here for, especially this term. It was very nice to just be able to get in, not have to do anything with too much of an academic rigor, and then also be able to figure out what I want to do outside of academics at college quicker than I thought I was going to. I can tell you for a fact it is exactly seven times you've been on air. Tomorrow will be your eighth. That's absolutely fantastic. Honestly, I'm awesome. like, compared with all the stuff, like it feels like this first term has flown by. Yeah, especially because you came in kind of late to the station. Yeah, because I was doing work you, for yeah. like theater, and I was only like, for anybody who hasn't worked theater oh. and hasn't worked as a stage manager, don't do it. I, don't, yeah, I wouldn't say straight don't do away. It. I would just say be aware that that will probably be the main thing that you are oh, doing. Yeah. In the main, oh, I was yeah. there was a point during rehearsal, especially when we got into tech week. Right, which is about the week, week and a half, two weeks before sh the show opens, where that's I was spending more time in the theater than I was in all of my classes combined, including doing homework, including writing things, including any academic work at all. And once we got out of that, that was when I was able to really pick up the pace and be able to get on the air more. But yeah, no, I'm honestly, I could not. There were things, there are certain um, things this term where I was like, yeah, well, that's not fantastic. But realistically, I don't feel like I would have done like. The way I always measure anything, looking back on it, is to see, well, if I had known everything that I know, would I have done anything different? And I cannot honestly say that I would have. So I think that, for me, that was the successful first term. I love that. Awesome to hear. Genuinely. Very, very happy for you. Um, yeah. Anything else we want to talk about before we actually get started on the, the smacking of the quack? No, let's jump. I think I feel like we should just jump right in. I so wholeheartedly agree men's basketball fun 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 start to the year uh really haven't i mean they've only lost two games neither of them were, were poor losses bama's fantastic santa clara is really solid um and they're also missing arguably their best two players but the the game i want to talk about is the most recent one against michigan juan howard's team who admittedly is not the same michigan as, as we've gotten used to the final four teams of the past but it's still Michigan, and and I think where that showed most was not in the actual game itself, but in the the kind of vibe around Matthew Knight Arena, where this is a team that has not drawn attention for the last few years, really since since the COVID year, since LJ Figueroa and and Eugenio Marui and 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 Chris Duarte were, were roaming the floor for the Ducks, and it hasn't really been that same level of duck basketball this was the first game that felt like it 11,241 packed into mka ducks won by three in overtime how important not just in terms of the the, the win loss but how important was kind of the whole aura of the game this weekend i mean it was important on so many we can start by the fact that it was important because it was a good win after what was probably the most heartbreaking loss in a very long time we'll get if you're there. an oregon we'll fan. get there from that Pac-12 championship game. It was the, really that I was just in a funk until that game happened, and I was like, okay. I did not – unfortunately, I was like, I could not physically drag myself up to go after that game. Yeah. But I did watch fantastic game. Um, and to me, when you look at that, the big thing to me is that this game proved that this team can win games even without those players, even without a major star in the center position. And that's the one thing when you look at this team, what they've managed to do is when you don't have a big man in the paint being able to work for you like that, you have to go to a more guard-heavy format, 
And what that's allowed the Ducks to do is it's really allowed them to be a lot more balanced in terms of who's getting the ball with an opportunity to shoot. And it's made them a lot more dynamic on offense. And you really saw that here. I mean, honestly, the, the points that they're putting up, yes, the defense has been abhorrent because of that lack of a major center there. But the points that they've been putting up are no joke. And to me, when you, the other thing that stands out to me, and this is a statistic I will say, even when these players are back, I still want to see this statistic continue. They are averaging four to five players a game with double figures, and I don't think they've had a single player so far this year who's gotten 20 points in a single game. That's the number that I like to see. I like to see that, di that dynamicness on offense. I like to see that many players getting an opportunity to shoot. I like to see that ball moving around that much. That's what I'm really excited about. I hope mm -hmm. that even when we have Biddle back, even when we have Infali Dante back, that continues. And I think this was really important both from a – from a culture perspective, when you see a lot of people going out to that game, as well as an actual X's and O's from a tactical perspective to show that this team can compete with a lot of great teams in the country right now, even though they're not playing what they would argue not really their basketball in terms of having those two centers missing, they're still able to score points. They're still even against some great defenses, and they're still able to put up points. They're still able to make themselves compete with any team in the country right now, and that's a big deal for me. The Ducks don't have like that true point guard right now, but they really haven't for for a while. Like Will Richardson was kind of supposed to be that guy and just wasn't, um, and was kind of just not good. Um, if we're being completely honest, like Will Richardson also had a lot of problems just being on, staying on the court. Right. He, but even you know when he was on, he, he, it was it was a struggle, and the the, the playmaking numbers, especially the assist to turnover numbers, weren't really there. Um, and they still don't have that. Jermaine Kuznard leading the team in assists per game. He's averaging just over three. Keyshawn Barthelme right behind him, 2.6. Jesse Zarzuela, 2.2. And Folly Dante played one game. You're looking at the assist numbers. It's a team that's going to move the ball around a, a good amount, but that is still pretty isolation-driven, especially when you're going with a guy like Jermaine Kuznard who just loves to have the ball in his hand and, and make something happen, especially when your leading scorer, who I, I think has kind of cemented his bench role right now, is Cario Oquendo, who has been very good in that role, averaging almost 10 points a game, but he's an isolation player. He's like kind of like a, a right-handed, better Jacob Young, where it's like he will get to the basket, but he needs to have the ball in his hands, and he's usually not going to pass it. Um I think that's okay though, and 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 I think it's it's worked for 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 them this year more than it has in years past because instead of surrounding Will Richardson with Davian Harmon who couldn't create and and with uh, Eric Williams who couldn't create and and with these these names of the past who were supposed to be those supplementary players, they have guys that 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 can make shots. Jermaine Kuznard has had a a really solid start to the season. Keyshawn Bartholomew. Uh, is someone that I have a lot of faith in, a, a veteran. Jesse Zarzuela, Cario Quendo, Kwame Evans Jr. has had some moments, but the big name and, and kind of the reason that I think the Ducks can can weather this stretch without Dante and Biddle is Brandon Rigsby because he's been awesome. He had the game of his life against Michigan. Uh, they did him dirty, by the way. I don't know if you saw on uh, on on X or any social media, but they were highlighting his his game, and instead of a picture of him, they put a picture of, of Bam Tracy. Um, which very different people, but the point stands. He's been fantastic this year. I, I brought up the question of, of how do they survive without Biddle and Dante? For me, he's kind of that number one answer. What what are you thinking? I guess kind of the, the secondary players outside of those those two bigs. I mean, I'd love to see Aquendo get more playing time. Honestly. Like I'd love to see him 
move into that starting lineup position. I think he's been absolutely excellent. I think there's really, like, we talk about, okay, this is a lot of, you're effectively putting up a bunch of one-on-one matchups and seeing what sticks, and you're like, oh, well, that's not really, that's not great. That's not really a great style for college basketball. That's not a winning style. And yet, here we are, and they're averaging in most games 80. Like, I would generally, I think over-under for the Ducks in any given game is going to be 80 points at this point. So to me, when I'm looking at this, I feel like it's everybody. Like, you cannot, the way that they are stretching defenses by simply saying, okay, our fourth best scorer is still better than your second best defender. You've got to put your best defender on our guy every single time, no matter who, which guy it is. You've got to move him around. You've got to cycle the defense out. To me, there is, like, you look at, yeah, Quisenard is doing great. I'd love to see uh, Oquendo get more t- more playing time, I think. Um, but I think fundamentally, I feel like this is a team that is contributing everywhere at once. And I feel like the difference right now is, are we looking at this team as this is the way they play, or are we looking at this team as is this the way they're playing right now to make sure they can hold on until they get their best players back? If they're looking at, if it's the former, and this is how they play, then I'm happy. If it's the latter, I'm even more happy because then you're going to get halfway into the season, you're going to go into the Pac-12, and all of a sudden the entire style is going to change up again, and nobody's going to have any game film on the Ducks and know what they're going to do, and that's going to be at a competitive advantage. To me, this team is producing everywhere it wants. The, the other question is, is this sustainable? Is this shooting sustainable? Are these points sustainable without Dante, without Biddle? Is this offense sustainable? But it doesn't need to be, right? Like, it doesn't need to be sustainable. Right, because it, it just matter. needs to get them gonna, we through Biddle. We just need Biddle. to get to January. Right. We need to get to mid-January, and we should be fine. So, there, it's the split. It's the, okay, well, if this isn't how they're going to play in January, then it doesn't matter because this should be sustainable for long enough. And if this is how they're going to play in January... Oh boy, can't wait to see what happens when this offense is running at full tilt and we have some good centers where we can actually play defense for a majority of the game. This team is going to be dangerous. I think so. I, I think one of the biggest things to look at is just the, the guard efficiency, where again, is it sustainable? Probably not, but it needs to be sustainable through when you get Biddle and Dante back. And you compare it to last year, where it was... And Folly Dante shot 61% from the field, great. Nate Biddle shot 49% from the field, great. Khalil Ware, 45.7% from the field. By the way, he is lighting it up at Indiana. He's been very good for them this year. But then after that, you have Will Richardson, who shot under 43%. That was your top guard shooting percentage. Compare that to this year. Mo Diawara is shooting 77.8% from the field. I, I know he's a big. He's been awesome. He, I, yeah. I, he's been so good, especially when Biddle and Dante come back, where he's your third big. That's huge. Cario Quendo is shooting 58.1% from the field and 57.1% from three. The Ducks haven't had a guard that, e- that efficient in a very long time. Okay, but that's only one guy. Brendan Rigsby's right behind him. 54% from the field, 52% from three. Okay, that's only two guys. Keyshawn Bartholomew, 46.7% from the field. Jackson Shellstad, 44.8% from the field. Bam Tracy, 43.5. Jermaine Kuznard, 43.1. These are all guys whose knocks coming into the year were their efficiency, where Jermaine Kuznard shot 39% from the field last year. He was great against Arizona. He had some really good moments. He was so inefficient. Jesse Zarzuela was the same way coming in uh, from where he transferred from. Cario Quendo, same from Georgia. All of these guys, their biggest knocks was efficiency. They have blown that out the gym, literally. They have been very good. And you're completely right. It doesn't need to be sustainable through 
the whole year. It needs to be sustainable through when the two bigs come back, and I think that's something that's very feasible. Yeah, and even when you look at, okay, some of these numbers are going to fall off, I feel like this is a better, more efficient team than the Ducks have had in quite a while, I yeah, feel like. I agree. And I feel like this will be the big, I think how far the Ducks end up going this year is going to depend almost entirely on how well Dana Altman can coach this team and scheme for this team. I feel like he, not that I think, I think Dana Altman's a fantastic coach, but I think that the difference between this team going to, say, a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8 and having this team get out in the second round of the NIT is going to be how well Coach Altman can utilize these players while they're at their best. Because right now, you are, you are getting everything. Like, honestly, this could be a death sentence for most teams. Right. But these this team's players have played so well and kept them in, kept the Ducks in the conversation in competitive conversations with pretty much most like honestly that Alabama game like it's a really good Alabama team it's too. a really it's a very good Alabama team they're averaging I think somewhere around 95 points a game at this point and to me the fact that the Ducks were even able to keep up with them at all proves that that's how good they are right now so if we can keep even 80% of this efficiency up if the players can keep 80% of this efficiency up, we'll start to see something really interesting happen once we get the centers back. And that'll be the big thing for me, is how much of this efficiency keeps up for the Ducks once they get their centers back, and how much, if it does, can we utilize both aspects of the game, both playing down with those centers and then playing the three ball and how well we can utilize both of that and how well that marriage works and how well we can actually just stretch their defense out. For me, that's going to be the big question for Coach Altman once Biddle and Dante come back, and I'll be very excited to see how that works when it does. I want to kind of give give out some grades. This is one of my favorite things to do. Finals week, it, it feels fitting. Uh, let's go through the rotation. I'm going to go in order of, of minutes per game and, and just give out some grades. We're going to go through, eh, I don't know. We'll feel it out. Let's start with Jermaine Kuznard, leading the team in minutes, leading the team, or second on the team in scoring behind it, Nate Biddle, at least in points per game, but leads the team in total points. I think he's been good, not great this year. I think I'm still waiting for him to become a little more efficient, especially from the field where he, he's not just hitting catch-and-shoot threes. I would love if he could facilitate a little more. i give him a, a B. I'd give him a B plus. I feel like... Giving him lower than a B plot, he is a driving force on this team. Now, it's hard to pick like, oh, there's no, there is absolutely no single driving force on this team. But I feel like if he's not producing, like he's he, if he's not producing the amount of points per game that he is, I feel like this team is in a different light. So I can't knock him any lower than a B plus for that. But I do agree with you that I wish he would be a little bit more efficient from the field than he has been, especially with so many high efficiency players around him right now. I would like to see him a little bit more efficient. Speaking of lack of efficiency, number two in minutes per game, Jesse Zarzuela has been okay. Ten points, couple rebounds, couple assists a game. The efficiency is really... He is really the only of the rotation players, at least in the veterans, that just is inefficient. And I think that's where I knock him. I give him a, a C-. minus. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on the C- minus there. I mean, honestly... 
and it is hard to say like he has not been efficient this year at all but it is hard to say how well he would be doing if he didn't have so many players playing so close to their full potential right now where he would be on this team where he would be in this rotation but I do think that right at least right now and this can always change and dynamic coaching should always be a thing that coaches try to take into account is who's hot at the moment but I do think that he probably may, might want to have a few of his minutes uh, shared around to some of the players who are being a little bit more efficient. I would love to see Oquendo get some of his minutes, honestly. Um, not a knock on Zarzuela at all, but I would like to see maybe a few of those minutes diminish a little bit, for, at least for the moment. I, I would agree. I think, uh, I think that's a fair assessment. I also think we're going to skip uh, and follow Dante. I think that would be unjust. Uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew, 10 points a game. Three rebounds, three assists, generously rounding up there. Um, big number for Key, 46.7% from field, 33.3% from three. Those are both fine. 57% from the line is not. This is a guy I loved coming into the – this is a guy I've loved since Colorado. Uh, back when I, I – I'm not going to say back when I used to watch every Sanford game. I still watch every Sanford basketball game. But he was one of my favorite Pac-12 players, and, and I still feel that way. Also, Friend of the station, Puddle Podcast guest Keyshawn Bartholomew. So it's it's hard for me to knock him, but I I I was kind of expecting him to take a really big leap this year and be like a thirteen to fifteen point a game guy, and it, it just doesn't feel like he's there yet. So I give him a B minus. I would probably give him a B minus as well. I would normally normally I would look at that and I would give him a B, but anytime anybody shoots. Who anybody t- anytime anybody shoots under sixty percent um, from the free throw line, I just get concerned. Um, they're called free throws for a reason. You got to hit at least six out of ten. I would hope seven out of ten. I know that that honestly, the art of the free throw is failing a little bit. Yeah, but especially like for a guard. Yeah, like you got you got to hit at least six out of ten of those. Otherwise, that it's one of those things where it's like. I love the concept of the the exit toll. You got to hit ten free throws yeah. before you leave. You got to honestly, that should always should be the. It's the concept of you should set a goal for yourself. If there's anything, because there's no, there's nothing you can control when you're on the court. You cannot control how many minutes you're there. You cannot control how many opportunities you may get in the game. Any anybody who tries to control how many opportunities they get in the game is diminishing their ability to play the game and diminishing their team's ability to play the game. But you can control how well you hit free throws. And if you're not hitting at least, I would argue like 65 to 70. Yeah, I was going to say like, especially for him, like 75 anything, anything below 60 is where I start to go, hey, we might need to, you might need to be spending a little bit extra time working on these. Yeah. So I knock him for that, but I do think that over, aside from that, I would give him a B, but I do think that free throw percentage drops him down to a B minus there. Moving on, Brennan Rigsby has been awesome. That game against Michigan was huge. He's up to 10 points a game. I will give him my first A. I wholeheartedly agree. That's 100% an A. Just the efficiency. Yeah. I no, mean, he, like, he's what not. Can, what can you ask from? He's not going to be a superstar. He's not going to be the guy that's going to average 18 to 20 points a game, but he is exactly what you need. He will stand in the corner and shoot. He will slash and just make insane dunks. He is awesome. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, he's not going to be the superstar. He's not going to get you 18 to 20 points a game. Sure. But they don't need him and nor, to do that. Nor do they – they don't need him to do that. Nor, frankly, if you've got if you've got three of him, you don't need anybody to do it. Right. And that's what they – that's the reason why 
the Ducks have been so productive right now and why they've been able to win so many games. They don't have an 18 to 20 point player a game, but they've got about five of the 10 to 12s. So that's the from an offensive production. That's why I keep talking about dynamic offense. Spread the ball out. Maybe not from, oh, we're going to pass it around, but we are going to make sure that we're going to attack you from a different angle every single time. That's the been the Ducks mentality. So yeah, no, 100% nay. That's absolutely what I, I could ask no more of him as a coach. Moving on to the freshman phenom, Jackson Shellstad, who obviously the injury stopped his or stopped the start of his season. A little quiet against Santa Clara. It was an efficient quiet, but he's been great since then. Inefficient against Bama, but still hit a pair of threes. Michigan game was huge. Hit the game winner. Flashbacks of the other kid from Westland, Peyton Pritchard. I give him a an A- minus so far. I think he just hasn't done enough, but I think he's been awesome when he's been on the floor. I agree with that as well. I'd give him an A minus. I do want. I I want to see more from him. I'm excited to see right. more from him. Any chance I can get. Bam Tracy has been awesome. Forty seven percent from three, averaging eight points as the guy that I think is kind of the sixth man right now. Uh, maybe the seventh behind Oquendo, who we'll get to. But just a, an efficient outside scorer slasher. Uh, I mean, kind of cut from the same mold as Rigsby, just with a little more rebounding ability. Averaging almost five a game. Um, he's been really fun. He's been the biggest surprise for me. I will give him an A also. I, I like, here's the thing with this team, though. I look at those stats and I go, okay, do I grade him based off of the stats of an overall grade or do I grade him based off the team? Because if I grade off the team, it's going to be an A-, minus because that's how good some of the players on this team have been. And I honestly, I have to give him an A minus just because I sp- no, I'll give him an A just because of this, because I think that for what he has done for this team and how well he's been playing, he has not been the first guy up. He's not been, I'd probably call him the third guy up in terms of production. And I feel like for that, I'd probably give him an A because I don't think I, if I were a coach, I would want any more out of him. Right. But I do think that he is like... I'll I'll give him that A, but it is I think it's a very let's let's call it we'll call it a ninety three point five. He snuck it in there. Sure, I think that's fair. Kwame Evans Jr. has been a little disappointing. Seven points, five boards, a steal, a block. Uh, the the disappointment comes from the efficiency: thirty five point six percent from the field, twenty seven point eight percent from three. I give him a D plus. I think the defense has been there. The that's offense rough. is. Offense is, is still developing, and I think that he is kind of the guy that leaves the lineup when Biddle comes back. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's been D-worthy. I think it's probably – I'd give him a C, maybe a C-minus. Like, I feel like – and it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, he's been shooting kind of off. He's a freshman. He's a, He should not be playing. Like there should, he should he should he would not be expected to play if this was normal right right now he would not be playing he is playing exactly like how I would expect a slightly underdeveloped freshman who got thrown in there without expecting to would play so for that I can't say he's because I feel like anything below like a C should be reserved for somebody who is completely below expectations. I don't feel like Kwame Evans Jr. is below expectations. I feel like he's at expectations, and the expectations weren't particularly high. I feel like I'm excited to see what he can do in maybe next year, maybe two years. 
but I do feel like right now he's not producing at a level that should warrant extended minutes. I think that's fair. Uh, let's move on. I'm going to skip Nate Biddle. Let's hit some Cario Oquendo. Maybe my favorite player on this team right oh, now. Oh, but he's 100% my favorite player on this team. I'll tell you that. Let's give him an A+. Plus. Yeah. No. Must I we mean, talk further? I think we've we've kind of already talked about yeah, him I mean, enough. like, he's he has produced at a high level with short minutes. I want to see him get more minutes. That's basically it. Like, you cannot, as a coach, as a fan, you cannot have at – literally, there is no more that he could have done. Right. There's There is no higher grade that you can give him. Yeah. Last but not least, Mo Diawara. He's been really fun. I've been pleasantly surprised. Five points, five boards a game. He does exactly what you need him to do. I give him a an A minus. I think there's just not much more I would have expected for him. He's kind of thrust into a starting role at this point, but he's been very solid in that role. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with the A minus on that. I think that that's exactly what I would want from him. I think he he slightly exceeded expectations i feel like this is what he has been doing exactly what has been needed of him no more but absolutely no less i feel like that does not quite warrant an a but i do think he has been doing absolutely well for himself i think that i'm excited to see what he can do i feel like i'm never concerned when he steps on the court and that's always a good sign and i think that frankly he's been producing at exactly the level that i would expect for him given the situation that or that the oregon ducks are in right now so yeah absolutely i would give him an a a hundred percent agree. All right. Well, that's going to do it for men's basketball. We're going to step aside when we come back. I think it's finally time to talk about what we've all been dreading talking about. Pac-12 oh, no. championship on the other side of this break. You're listening to 88 one. I checked my voter registration online and I am ready to vote. I feel amazing. Hey, you! Did you know the Republican and Democratic parties have closed primaries? That means you need to register with one of them to vote in their primary election. Or you can register with a minor party or not be affiliated with any party at all. You get to choose. That's why your ballot may have different candidates than mine. Oh, wow! I'm gonna hike around Crater Lake and treat myself to clam chowder at the coast. Don't know how to check if you registered? Just visit OregonVotes.gov and be sure to check at least 21 days before the May election to make any updates. I feel incredible. Who wants to frolic in some tulips? This message is brought to you by the Oregon Elections Division. For more information, go to OregonVotes.gov. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is Travis Tyke, former assistant sports director at KWVA. Cheers! You're listening to Quack Smack. Back here. Oh, it's it. Back here, smacking the quack, I think is what we decided on the official name for Quack Smack. Or the official term, because. 
smacking, talking, quacking, ducks, talking about the ducks. Sure, we'll go with it. Yeah, that makes sense. Not sure there was much wheel in there, but we'll go with it. Do we have to? I think this is the first... I think, honestly, this is the first true day where I've actually been ready to talk about it. Should I just mute my mic and let you go off for 17 minutes? <laughs> Maybe not 17 minutes, but if, I can absolutely go off. On let's let, let's start with the, 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 the good, okay? Can we do that? Well, sure, let's start with the good. There was little of it, but let's start with the good. I, I would even say there was a lot of it, because I think the, the comeback against Washington, the Pac-12 champ. We all know what happened, by the way. We don't need to talk about it more. But the comeback against Washington, where you start the game down 20-3, to you're thinking you're going into the half down 70 points. Excuse me. To be able to flip that 20-3 to 24-20 to was huge. And when Jordan James broke the plane, it felt like the Ducks were going to win. When... Jackson Powers Johnson nearly had a touchdown and he went up to the camera and asked if we weren't entertained. It felt like the Ducks were going to win the Pac-12 and go with the playoff. That comeback was awesome. Floor is yours. It was an incredible comeback. I was watching with some of the uh, pit crew members, the student section here at the UO, um, for a watch party. Um, and everybody was jumping up and down, absolutely excited. It was it was rough for a lot of that first half, but everybody was in it. I've been an Oregon fan for 18 years. My mother went to the University of Oregon. I've been an Oregon fan. Literally the single first football game that I ever remember watching was the 2011 Pac-12 championship game. UCLA at Oregon in Autzen. Absolutely raucous atmosphere. I've watched this team. Since 2011, I've watched this team for 12 years. Whenever, when you said, oh, when this happened, when Jordan James broke the plane, I thought the Ducks were going to win. When Jackson Powers Johnson did his little roll into the end zone, I thought the Ducks were going to win. You see, I've been a Ducks fan for 18 <laughs> years. I know better than that. Yeah. I've watched this team come so close so many times. Not just football, too. I have watched this team come so close so many times that if you had told me, okay, Oregon in this game has looked significantly better than Washington. They are favored nine and a half points on the spread. Bo Nix is playing right now with a solid performance. will probably win the Heisman, which is more likely. The Ducks win at all. Whether it's a close game, a not close game, Bo Nix plays well, or that Washington wins by the exact same number that they have won in both of the previous two games. Mm. Oh, I would have taken the latter beforehand, and I certainly was not surprised when it... I was disappointed. I was on the floor. I was distraught. But surprised was not something that I was after that game. There is just something about this team, something about this program that makes games like this happen more frequently than they should. And it's certain things. It was not a bad football game. There was a bad quarter for the Ducks, but it, they overall did not play poorly. Washington did not play exceedingly well. 
They won the trenches, which was something that nobody expected them. I think the per- I think the people who expected Washington to win in the trenches least were the Oregon defensive and offensive lines. But to me, this was disappointing. It was not inevitable, but it was not surprising. And when you go into the things that you see for this game, and you look at the statistics, what happened? Yeah. Like honestly, what happened? We're talking this is a rushing attack that has been we talked we talked about this after Oregon State here on this radio station. We talked about how the rushing attack was not particularly strong against Oregon State. And we said, "Oh, that's not a problem because they're going to win in the trenches." They were winning in the trenches. They didn't need to run the ball often <laughs> because they were winning in the trenches against Oregon State. I still stand by that. I also stand by the fact that any play call sheet with a rollout pass labeled for third down should be burned immediately, without question. Yeah, I've been on two Quacksmacks with you, I think, and both times we've talked about how much you hate rollouts. It's not that I hate rollouts. It's on that third I, down. I hate limiting the space of a Heisman caliber quarterback on a down where you do not have yards to burn, where you do not have a down to burn, you do not have a shot to take. There is no... The rollout pass is not objectively bad. However, for this team, with the talent that they have and the quarterback that they have, it is almost never an appropriate automatic play call. A designed rollout pass, especially when it's to the shorter end of the field, where you've got less running room and you're compressing everything down into a smaller area because you're going to take one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country and limit the space that they have to operate and limit the space of one of the best quarterbacks in the country to operate on a crucial moment where you need that moment, especially when it's a situation where you are in the middle of a comeback or in the middle of trying to cement a comeback and you limit your options against a defense, especially one like Washington's that I do not feel was technically superior or equal to the Oregon wide receiver room. You're also limiting Bo Nix who can run. Bo Nix was the leading rusher. Bo Nix had more yards than every single other rusher for the Oregon Ducks combined. Weird stat considering the fact that he hasn't really run that much this year. But the fact that Jordan James and Bucky Irving combined for 55 yards is concerning to me. The other thing that's concerning, why was Jordan James not in the game more often? He averaged 7 yards a carry, Bucky Irving averaged 2.2. He did not take a snap in the first half in the backfield. That's questionable to me, especially when Bucky Irving isn't exactly tearing it up on the field. Right. You've got a great running back room. It would be even better if Noah Whittington was there, but you've got a great running back room. Jordan James is averaging seven yards a carry. You know that what you're doing isn't working, so why not switch it up? I don't understand it, but it is what it is. And to me, it's also, I don't even want to talk about the interception. Yeah, we don't have to. Frankly, the quarterback was sitting, the corner who made that interception was sitting on the bench for the majority of that play. I do not, one of those things I just don't understand, but... It is what it is. That's fine. It was a momentum swing. It is what it is. That was not the reason they lost the game. And to me, it the reason why they lost the game was simply the complete and utter failure of at every level of the defense, from coaches to players, to stop the run. That is it. You wanted to, oh, well... I've, I've heard every single reason under the sun as to why they lost this game. Oh, well, they started out horribly. They started out 20-3. to They weren't able to cement it. They simply didn't have enough. To, no, they were up in that game. 
They had every chance to win that game. That was not the reason. Oh, well, Bo Nix threw that intercept. That wasn't the reason. The reason was simply Dylan Johnson averaging five yards a carry, running for 152 yards. That's it. That's simply it. Because that is the only, oh, well, momentum changed during this, and oh, well, momentum changed. Momentum is incredibly important as a force in every sport. However, you want to talk about that momentum shifting? If you can't stop the run, the momentum will never truly be on your side. They were able to stop it for a bit in that second quarter. They were able to stop it for a bit in the third. But most of the game, Dylan Johnson was running for four or five yards pretty much every single time. And that's just, it sucks the life out of every football team at every level. And a strong rushing attack like that with a high average running for 20, 28 times, 37 out of 37 rushes. Really 35 because two of those were Neal's. 28 rushes, 152 yards. Over the entire course of the game, they could not find an answer for Dylan Johnson. That's just a fact. D doesn't matter what time. Sometimes, and it's really, it, it sucks. It really sucks. Because Michael Penix was limited. He was not able to throw at a level that I would say is usual for Michael Penix. He threw for sure. When you look at the stats, 319 yards, that's great. 27 for 39, that's great. That's fine, really, but that will, it's, it's all right. But when you look at this and you see those numbers, he did not look great. He's skying the ball 15 yards over his receivers anytime the line even remotely looks like it may consider breaking down. And that's my biggest problem with him if you're a draft scout is you see him under any form of pressure and he can't handle it and he'll just throw that. That was, the, that was his interception was him skying the ball 15 yards over his receiver because he thought there might be pressure coming. So everything else on the defense was able to do it. And I like Lupoi. I like his scheming. I love I love uh, coordinator Lupoi's scheming. But there's he was just unable to adjust in the entire first quarter. He kept bringing the linebackers on pass rush, which was then leaving holes open for delayed handoffs, which was then leaving holes open for handoffs and cutbacks. That was what was really killing us was the unintended cutbacks off of Dylan Johnson that would get him seven yards off of a play where they were blitzing. Early in that game, That's that was really the recipe that got them up that quickly. That got them up 20-3. to three. So that, to me, is where the big problem was for this game. And that has not been a particularly large problem in any other game. But this program defies all logic in every known capacity. This is a game that we're expected to win. This is a game where we have the significant uh, crowd advantage at a neutral site. This is a game where we have proven that we have been able to stop this team in the past and not put them at the level of offensive production that they have been able to produce against a lot of other top teams. Granted, sometimes you wonder, like against Arizona State, or against Oregon State, how well this team actually can produce against top defenses. But realistically, we know that this team can be stopped. We know that this team is very much mortal. They have not quite as badly as TCU, or rather not quite as successfully as TCU, and not quite as close as TCU last year, but they have been very much a similar team in the fact that they have had a bunch of close games that they have found ways to win. And this is a team that they should beat. If you watch this Oregon team, if you don't watch Oregon that Oregon-Washington game in October, and you simply watch the other 11 games for Oregon and the other 11 games for Washington, this is a team that Oregon should win. 
should be able to beat. And yet, here we are. Biggest game of the season. Nothing doing. Nothing doing on offense is sluggish. Offensive play calling is all over the place. Hasn't been a... You can't even say, oh, well, that's just the play calling for this team. Or, oh, well, that's just the defensive scheming for this team. It takes a while to adjust. It's going to be a little all over the place. No. It's just this game. It was just last time against Washington. There's just... It's not even... I don't even know if it's a Washington thing or if it's a big game thing or if it's just simply some somebody right after the tall furs and the 1930s won an NCAA championship, whether right after that somebody put a curse on the program so they could never win another national championship and they would always choke in weird ways in big games. I had not even choking. Sometimes Ezekiel Elliott running for 200 yards in the 2014 national championship wasn't choking. It was just a beatdown. But there will always be something. And we always talk about hope. Oh, this is going to be our year. This is going to be the year. 60 minutes or as long as it takes, rather 130 years and as long as it takes because we will keep doing this every single time and this is the life of an Oregon fan. Every single year, we will get hope and every single year, it will be squashed. Not in the same way. It's new and creative ways every single time. But every single year, we will have something to give us hope and every single year, we will eventually have to realize it's going to be one more time. I feel like you needed to get that out of your system. I, like I said, this has been the first day it's where... It's like a solid, like, four minutes. This is the first day where I've actually been able to fully reflect on this. And it's, as much as I, yes, this has been, I'm sure, ever, ever since I've been watching Oregon football, this has been the, the main story. And I'm sure you go back ever since my mother's been watching Oregon football, this has been the same story. And if you go back a generation before her and a generation before her, it's still the same story. But... It's different for me now because I'm here, and I feel like it was different this year because they got closer than they normally do before they had to fully realize that this wasn't going to be the year. And yeah. I feel like it, it hurt this one. We talk about, oh, how, how long is this loss going to hurt for? We talked about that for the Washington game last time in October. How long is this going to hurt for? How long are we going to be thinking about this? That game, I'm not thinking about it anymore. It sucked. But I do not feel – I feel like both teams put on a show, and I feel like both teams played well. And I do not think that Oregon losing that game had anything to do with – yes, we talk about, oh, the two fourth downs. Oh, the missed field goal to go to overtime. Oh, well, maybe they should have been able to win that game. Maybe they should have been able to win that game. But I don't feel like that game fundamentally was Oregon – oh, well, this one hurts. It did hurt at the time, but we had another shot. This team, I would argue to be top five all time for Oregon, if not top two, if not top one. And they were unable to get it done, and I feel like they were better than that game showed. And it sucks, because I know this team is going to roll over Liberty on come January 1st. It also sucks because they shouldn't be playing Liberty in a BCS, in a New Year's Six Bowl, but that's an entirely different story. But... I feel like I don't know if it's a Washington thing. I don't know if this is just Dan Lanning not being able to produce in key games. I don't think that we've had a big enough sample size of key games yet for him to be able to see that. But I do think that fundamentally this is what we live with as Oregon fans. And I do think that while it was shocking in the way that they did it, it was not surprising that they did it at all. 
Where does this rank for you in, in hurt factor of duck losses? Oh, the, for me personally, this is what, number one. Because this is the closest they've gotten in a while. This is the best team that they've had, I think, since 2014. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think that the only comparison you'd be making is 2019 with Justin Herbert in his senior year. And I do think that this team is much better than that. Yeah, Not I agree. even like that was a good team. This is a great team. And I do think that it hurts different for me this year because I really did think that this was going to be the thing that hasn't happened, which is Oregon going to the college football playoff since 2014, which is Oregon being a favorite in a college football playoff game, which is Oregon being realistic a realistic chance to win a national championship, which has not existed for Oregon most of the time that I've been watching Oregon football. Yeah. And because every 2021, they weren't going no, anywhere. they weren't going anywhere. I was no. watching some 2021 highlights Re- respect, They were so bad. Respectfully to Anthony Brown Jr., I was happy when I went to an Eagles preseason game against the Ravens and got to watch him throw an interception and say, oh, thank God I don't have to root for him to not do that now. Right. I He, was, he played ultra instinct in that game against Ohio State, and that was not repeatable. So this, it definitely hurts more for me. I think I was talking to my mother – I don't know if this was number one for her. I think probably either. I think probably 2010 was number one for her. If I had to guess, when they lost to Cam Newton and Auburn yeah. in 2010 by one point. Um, but yeah, no. For me personally, it different experiences to where I was watching it while I was watching it. But yeah, no. This was definitely. It was one of those games where you're just going to, like, I do not think I will be an Oregon fan till the day I die. I do not think I will forget that game, where I was, how I watched it, what was going on in that game for a very long time, if ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we're going to take another break, by the way, which I would normally be able to tell you, but. Are you good with how, how to delete those breaks? Yeah, I'm 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 good to delete. Okay, yeah. cool. Um not really in the mood to play games anymore either. Sorry. No, it's it's <laughs> fair. It's sorry for being a bit of a bit of a buzzkill there, but no, yeah. I I get it. Um should we brighten the mood with some portal talk, maybe? Yeah, let's brighten the mood with some portal talk. Let's let's like I said, hundred and thirty years or as long <laughs> as it takes. And it is it is as long as it takes. Um Let's start with Dylan Gabriel, because I think he will be a duck. I'm going to put my crystal ball in, and I think I think he is a duck. I think that it is more than likely right now. I think that there was a lot of talk about Cam Ward. In fact, uh, Ducks Wire for the USA Today accidentally posted a story yeah. saying that he had already transferred, which I don't – like, I have not been in journalism for very long. I cannot imagine being the person who posted that. And then going, oh, that is nothing that's happened yet. Oh. I will say, I 110% believe that it was just an article, like, getting prepared to post it if it did happen. No, Because that's a very yeah. journalistic that's thing exa- to do. I'm sure that's exa- – right. I think that is, in fact, exactly what right. the writer said. But – and now, it, of course, when you look at Cam Ward, he's narrowed down his places that he would like to go to. Of course, it's not like this is – recruiting where they've offered him scholarships or anything he has actually they have to say yes as opposed to him having to right. say yes but Oregon is not on that list and I think especially when you look at that 
Especially when I think that, yeah, Cam Ward is going to be probably the number one ranked quarterback out of the transfer portal. Maybe he should be, maybe he shouldn't be. I think he's definitely, you can argue that Gabriel is one and he's two. But I do think that he is not necessarily on the list for Oregon right now. I think that he considered it. But I do not think that Oregon was the, he felt that Oregon was the right fit for him. And as an Oregon fan, I'm not sure that he may be the right fit here. However, when you look at Dylan Gabriel, that's, he's the exact opposite. I do think that he would be a good fit for this Oregon offense. I think that he will probably, if he were to transfer here, which of course hasn't happened yet, I think that Oregon and USC are the two places that are right now in the being thrown around a lot for him. Once again, remember that Oregon was one of the places being thrown around for Cam Ward, probably higher up on the list for the places being thrown around for Cam Ward. And of course, that's not on his list at all anymore. But right now, as we stand, I think that Dylan Gabriel's probably either number one or number two, as it's been reported, is Oregon. I think he would be a good fit for the system. I think that if he does transfer here, I think that he's probably going to start over Ty Thompson. I think that Ty Thompson should, like, I like Ty Thompson. I respect the fact that Ty Thompson has stayed here longer than pretty much anybody would. I do think that if he does not get named the starter, or if he does not feel like he has a very strong chance of getting the starting job for next year, I do feel like he should probably transfer out. I think that that would be best for him and his development. And I think, because I think at that point, then you're looking at, okay, by the, if Ty Thompson doesn't start next year, he's got what? Two years of eligibility left? One year of eligibility left? I think just one. Yeah. Because I think he would, yeah, next year I think he would be in his fourth yeah, year. Yeah, because he's my age. So at that point in time, I think you transfer out if you're not almost certain that you're going to get the starting. Like if, if Gabriel doesn't transfer, he's almost certainly going to get the starting. And I think you, you hopefully, I say this hopefully, hopefully Bo Nix will have wiped the floor with the Liberty defense and Ty Thompson gets to show off in the second half with a lot of people leaving with a lot, with a lot of the people leaving who's still in. I think realistically we have not seen a lot of Ty Thompson with the starting team around him. And I would like to see more of that. And the question is, if he doesn't get, if, if Gabriel doesn't come, Ty Thompson's the starter. If he does come, Ty Thompson should not stick around, and we should be developing Novasad, and we should be looking, once again, transfer portal maybe at the end of next year. I think Gabriel's got one year of eligibility left, maybe two. Yep, just one. Just the one, yeah. And I think that once – but this is the thing. When the transfer portal started becoming a thing, which was post-mart – like slightly post – I think either 2015 or 2016 was when the transfer portal really started becoming, okay, people are going to grad transfer in and start doing things. That's when it really started. I was a bit skeptical of the concept of you've got one year of eligibility left, come play here for one year. I'm still skeptical of it. That hasn't changed for me. Even as it's become more widespread, I am still very much in the process of I do not like the concept of I come in here at the end of my career at my best. I'm 23, 24. I play one year and then I'm gone. And then we go in. Okay, I've got a player here. He's a grad transfer. He's 23, 24. He plays for one year, and then he's gone. I do not like that cycle. I do not want that to be the cycle. I think that that takes the emphasis off of recruiting. I think that takes the emphasis off of development. I think that creates a wider um, skill gap in college football where you see a lot of the top teams like a Bama or a Georgia taking developing prospects out of smaller teams because they're Bama or Georgia or Oregon or USC 
and having them transfer, or frankly, Oklahoma and Texas for that matter, and transferring in. And I think that that increases and rather decreases parity, which is not something that I want. I think this year has been one of the best years of college football that we've seen in terms of parity ever. I think that the fact that we had, we regardless of whether Florida State got left out of the college football playoff or not, there was going to be some controversy. Because either it was going to be Texas fans who are loud, Bama fans who are louder, or Florida State fans who I think are entirely justified. One of those three teams was going to be left out. And whoever it was going to be was going to be incredibly loud and incredibly annoyed. And I think at least two out of the three teams, sorry, Bama, I don't care, were justified. So, to me, we've seen a lot of parity. I think that I've, I'm, I like the concept of the transfer portal. I do not like the frequency of its use. And this is a football, it's, we saw it in women's basketball. You watch women's basketball a lot. I watch women's basketball a lot. We've seen it. It's a free agency market out there. It's ridiculous. And I don't want football to become, college football to become like that. And to me, I hope, I want Gabriel to come because I think he's the best option we have on the table right now. No offense to Ty Thompson. I do think Dylan Gabriel's a little bit better. I do think that if Gabriel comes, he'll probably get the starting job. However, I do not want that to become a trend for Oregon. I do not think that that is a smart trend for Oregon. I do think that being able to develop talent is one of the best skills that you have. I think that's the reason why Colorado was not, well, there's a lot of reasons why Colorado wasn't very good, but I think that the ability to actually coach talent should never become an underrated bonus on top of a coach's hiring. I feel like that should be one of the most important things a coach should be able to do, which is develop players. Now, I do not, absolutely do not want it to become a trend for Oregon to not be able to have that um, recruiting perhaps and do not have that ability to develop players that they're getting out of fresh as freshmen or out of JUCO into actual major starting caliber players. 658 already. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I've talked like consistently. You've talked a lot, man. Yeah. It's been like 15 minutes straight. Uh, that is going to do it for us tonight. It is 659. We are going to sign off, but thanks for listening to Quacksmack tonight. Be back tomorrow for about a 20-minute segment of QS, standing for Quacksmack with myself, with Ryan and with Levi Bergfold. And then we're going to have some playoff volleyball. That's what you're not going to want to miss. But that's tomorrow for tonight. For Gavin Carpenter, my name is Austin Oda. We will sign off and see you later. Thanks for listening to Quacksmack.